slightly ahead of schedule today. Uh, maybe we will get started because I have a feeling there's going to be lots of questions. Uh, before we start the question period, though, I'll tell you about next week's session. We have uh, Dwayne Bratt from uh, University of Mount Royal coming down from Calgary to tell us a little bit about what happened the, at the election. Uh, I think it'd be a very interesting analysis, so please plan to show up next week for, for that. And also, uh, I should announce that the, there's actually an election forum tonight where I understand uh, all the candidates may show up. Uh, it's, a, it's a Chamber of Commerce uh, forum at the Canadian Western Bank Lounge at the NMAX. Uh, I think it starts at 6? Six? 6 six or 6.30? 6.30, okay, yeah. So fill up the place. Yes, there's some leftover shepherd's pie, and uh, I think we're selling it for $2. It's a little bit cheaper than the four. Three dollars, okay. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, get started on the question period. Uh, don't forget that uh, ask the question. That's what it's all about. Uh, you can uh, relate a little bit to, uh, you know, put some context to your question. That's okay, but not, not too long. So I'd like to welcome Rudy back up. Thank you for the wonderful lunch, it was good. Thanks, Rudy, Ian Hurdle. Um, like nobody's behind me, I'll try two questions. It's on, on, push button. Oh. Hello, there it goes. Um, about 40 years ago, I had conversations with the National Research Council physicists in Saskatoon. And they were building some demonstration houses. And they pretty well had the science down how we could insulate and do things. We have more modern things now. But why is it taking 40 years to try and push things along when they were offering you a 80% reduction in your energy use in a house. That is a very good question. I've been battling it for 18 years. I've been asking it myself. It's partially, I believe, it's a little bit of culture maybe. The energy in North America has been very cheap in the past, so people did not really pay attention, didn't hurt their pockets. I think that's probably the biggest concern. Uh, a few years ago, I was looking to put some solar panels on my house and there seems to be a real reticent at that time. In fact, for me to put the panels on my house seven years ago, the permit had to cross the desk of the mayor. It couldn't just sort of go there, but the mayor had to sign the permit. Have you seen a sea change in the last few years where it's actually happening government-wise or enthusiasm? 
Yes, absolutely. It has, the whole permitting issue has changed major for us. It's so much easier. First of all, everybody, all the inspectors, or they know what, what to look for. It's, it has become much, much easier. In the past, it was a nightmare. I agree with you. It took months sometimes to get a permit passed. Okay, my name is Carol Bangstead. And I just wondered why you didn't put a basement in your house. Okay. I, I would think it would have been... Very, very easy. We actually sold our house and moved to a modular home for a year before we built the house. And while we were sitting there, I asked my wife one, one day, when have you been last in the basement at a house? She says, well, since the kids moved out, basically never. So we said, we're sitting now in a modular home and we don't miss the basement. So I called my builder and said, last minute, can we quick change the plan? We don't need a basement. That's the only reason there's no real advantage of efficiency-wise. It's just we didn't need this extra space. We were two people in the house. And so, yeah. Klaus Jericho. Rudy, thank you for your presentation. Uh, before I ask you my question, can you please explain to me and maybe to quite a few others, how does your house get warmer when you take cold air or water from the pond? How does that work? Through the heat pump. The geothermal yeah. heat pump will create actually from the Freon by, by turning into vapor, vapor turns into heat and that gets transferred through a coil into my house. Do you all understand that? <laughs> I, I don't understand it. Okay. But uh, anyway, I assume it works because you make it work. If you, if you have a chance to come and see my house tomorrow, I would love to actually show you the compressor yeah. and turn the thermostat up yeah. and see how it turns on. Yeah, it's actually, say, like I said before, it's like a fridge. It transfers my heat from one source to the other, right? So it transfer. Well, we take from the pond about seven degree water out, right? So I'm only in increasing it from seven degrees Celsius to 21 Celsius. And because there's no carbon, so the, 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 the um, combustion air needed like a furnace. Normally if you have a furnace, you, need to, you take the outside air minus 30 in the wintertime and turning into plus 21. So you have 51 degree rise, right? On a geothermal, you have anywhere between 10 and 12 degrees rise. So that prion in your compressor will create that heat. And in the summertime, the compressor actually switches, or literally switches the flow of the, of the freon, and it creates cold air. So my coil becomes extremely cold, so I have a beautiful air conditioner, and I'm dumping the heat from the house into my pond. In the wintertime, I take the heat out. Summertime, I dump it into the pond. All in one unit. Okay, that's much better. Thank you, Rudy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I... Uh, uh, just one comment as to that relates to the previous question as to why we are so slow to developing these alternate heat sources. Um, last year, I live in a 1,000 square foot bungalow, old bungalow, 60 yeah. years or so, and uh, old insulation, nothing new on it. And um, last year, it cost me $1,000 to heat the house and the and the water, yeah. and $160 of that was actually for the purchase of natural gas. Yeah. I think that is a reason why we're not moving ahead with anything because energy is still too cheap. Yes, correct. Uh, the, the other then in relation to your wonderful presentation, what about uh, geothermal co-ops in, in our community? It has been done. We have, in North Western US, this whole communities, whole neighborhoods that all are hooked up to geothermal. It's definitely doable. We just need to get the public on board, so. 
Thank you, Rudy, yep. for your presentation. I'm Rena Wass. Um, when I was in Denmark, this is years ago, in Aalborg, the entire uh, house, well, the entire community was heated with geothermal. Mm -hmm. They had a central station that all the homes fed into, so heat, hot water, it was endless. Um, is it true that Lethbridge is sitting on a couple of uh, hot spots? I heard this a few years back from um, someone that works at the university. And is it like the closer, is it true that the closer you are to a hot spot, the more, I guess, the, the less expensive it is to go on geothermal? Anyway, that's one of the questions I've got for you, but yeah. maybe we'll start with that one. Okay, so I've obviously heard the rumors as well, or the story. I'm not sure if that's true, but this tr the truth is yes, the warmer it is, the more efficient the heat pump works and the less the power draw will be there. Okay, yeah. how far down do you have to drill typically in Lethbridge uh, before you hit, um, I guess it depends on your location. You're on an acreage and you've got you know, a large space to spread out the coils. But what if like Douglas was telling me he lives in a condo, they would love to go on geothermal, but there is no land there. So how do you get around that? Well, and we have done quite a few big apartment building. It's actually not bad to do. We just have to tear up your parking lot and drill the holes in your parking lot. So basically what, it, what, what happens is it's not the depth that we worry about. It's the amount of pipe we need to have. So it goes by square foot. Basically, we have about 400 square feet of uh, pipe in a pond. We're running about 600 feet long trench, vertical eight feet down, or we go 220 feet down uh, with the vertical, that's 440 feet of pipe for each ton, we call it. So we designed the house per tonnage, and this is 12,000 BTUs, in other words, for every hole. So it depends how much BTUs you need that's how many holes we'll drill, and if you do in town, we only have one option, that's vertical. There's not enough room for horizontal or pond loop or open loop, so just vertical. Okay, and then Klaus, who was just here, mentioned that he's got a home about a thousand square feet. I think a lot of people are living in, especially in the older neighborhoods, if they were going to want to, you know, lighten their carbon footprint and go and on, geothermal, solar, um, about what would that cost to convert their home? Okay, like Any a thousand idea? square feet, I mean, it always depends. It's, we don't go by exactly square footage because it depends what your habits are. If you use a lot of power, some people have a small house but a lot of power draw. But in general, that size house will probably be about a $25,000 mark on geothermal and probably about a, another $20,000 worth of solar. But you have to take uh, account as well that if you come to the point that your furnace is gone or your air conditioner is gone, you're not buying those components anymore. So that's why it's, it's actually a little better on new home, but anytime you come to a renovation that you need a new furnace and your air conditioner, you're back to square one. Yeah. My name is Mary Shillington. I was talking with somebody recently and they were still under the impression that it was very complicated paper-wise, uh, bureaucracy-wise, to get solar panels. Uh, so that leads to my question really is, what kind of education is being done around the benefits of geothermal and solar and so on? Uh, and if it's being done, who does it? Well, I don't know if I'm much education. I think the college is working on it to try to actually train more people. Uh, there's some in Edmonton and Calgary doing a lot of courses. 
uh, for people to actually for installing and do the, do the paperwork. The paperwork, the complicating part has, has been gone. It's much easier, but it's still a long process. My daughter, my daughter does most of the paperwork for us, and she spends per client, I would say, easy 15 hours. Back and forth, emailing, and they have so many questions that we just shake our heads. We already told you five times. They're still asking questions, but it's not complicated, just annoying. Very annoying how, the, how long it takes to that, get the process through yet. So I would gather then the city is not doing any kind of education about the benefits of solar or geo Not very much, no. no. So is anybody doing that? No, not very much, no. Rudy is. Okay, <laughs> Rudy is, okay. <laughs> Maybe we all need to do it then. Yes, yeah. Hi, Rudy. Uh, since there's no one at the mic, I will ask a question that was given to me. Are there any current government or business grants or rebates for windows and solar panels? Yes, there, on windows, I'm not familiar with windows much because I'm not doing that, but yes, there's a little bit, but solar, absolutely. There's right now uh, 90 cents per watt, up to $10,000 for residential, and commercially, up to a million dollars. You can go, rebates right in that moment, yeah. Hi, Rudy. Nope. Henning Mundell here. Uh, my question also con uh, concerns geothermal. Uh, right now, no, not for us. But uh, you, I think, are aware, uh, are familiar with the situation that one of our not-too-distant neighbors had not energy smart, but someone else put in their geothermal, and then they ran into all kinds of problems. My question is, I don't know the technical details, but what could have gone wrong? And, and I think your people were involved in trying to alleviate some of those problems. Mm -hmm. so what kind of things Bad need designing. to be considered that maybe weren't pro properly yeah. Yeah. considered? Biggest, biggest problem we see is bad designing. Because CGC, Coalition of Geothermal Canada, basically tells us we're only responsible for 64% of your heating capacity. I don't get it why, why it's, how it's possible, but that's what they tell us. So there's a lot of... Fortunately, people out there who are doing geothermal and go by that lot, by that rule, right? Well, we all know if it's 64%, it gets minus 12, minus 15, the geo cannot keep up, electric element kicks in, and now it draws 100% power, and if your power bill goes skyrocket, and people think it's bad geothermal. That's why I said before that with my comment, my house, I had never used auxiliary heat ever in 18 years now or 16 years now. Because if you design it right, there's no magic to geothermal, but there has to be rules followed. If you don't put enough pipe in the ground, or don't size the pump right, or the heat pump right, or even just not flush the system properly, if there's an air, air bubble in a system, it produces 15% of your capacity. And I have seen so many jobs where, the, where the, it was wrong pumping, wrong system, wrong design, not enough pipe in the ground, but that's why most guys are longer here. Thank you. Yeah. Doug Mitchell, uh, I'm a little disappointed, Rudy. Uh, I'm an old fellow that lives in a condo. I've been condo bound for about 13 years now. And uh, early in my stay there as an environmental activist and mm -hmm. someone who's concerned, uh, I raised the question of putting solar panels on our roof. And there's yeah. plenty of space there to do that. And we have a south-facing uh, 
roof Slope, that yeah. would be excellent for that. It went over like a lead balloon with the rest of them. It's only a small condo, 10, 10 units, nine to one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but at that time, as you know, costs, capital costs, were significantly higher than they are now. And I raised this, thing, this question again a year or so ago, and uh, amazingly enough, there was uh, a positive response. Oh, we should look into that. Mm -hmm. And uh, the thing that really bothers me is that um, here we are in Lethbridge, and not much, as you said, is going on to promote or, or yeah. encourage people to, to do things. And yet, the places like Raymond, which are apparently, according to the arena, they've gone 100% renewable. Yeah. And here we are on the, on the brink or within a shouting distance for our grandkids of a, a global climate crisis. Yeah. And it's, it's shameful that the city is not doing more than they are. But however, I'd like to just, can you give me a comparison of uh, capital costs back then and what they are now? Oh yeah. 18 years ago, uh, we were uh, giving people quotes on solar, 12, 14, 15 dollars a watt. It was impossible to ever pay for itself. It was just not possible. And right now we're down to bigger systems below three dollars a watt. That's, be that's before the re rebate. So if we have done a very large commercial job recently that we actually did uh, just around two dollars a watt. And by the time he got a rebate, he, he paid like a dollar ten, whatever, dollar twenty. So it, it, the cost has changed dramatically, and the the efficiency hasn't changed much. But the per square inch of a panel, like years ago, a panel like 150 watt, 160 watt, the same size panel is now 300 watt. So it has changed a lot of the production between the solar panel and the inverters and the communication. It's much much better right now and way cheaper. Yes, I don't believe, to be honest, I don't believe the solar panel can go much lower. Because on a panel itself, we're sitting below a dollar a watt. That's retail, not my cost. And if you, they're threatening us, the copper to go up, aluminum going up, labor going up, permits going up. So we believe that we have come to the pivot point only, almost that we, I believe we, we it's no sense to wait for, for a solar to install if you're in the market, because I don't think it's going to go down. My name is Andrew Blair, and I'd like to ask a question, which is uh, just an opportunity for you to say what you like about it. It's kind of open-ended. Um, can you do a comparison of a passive solar home with uh, a home that uses geothermal? A passive solar meaning no geothermal. Okay, okay. Anytime you go passive solar, obviously it's cheaper to initially to, to to have the investment from the geothermal. We have seen some passive solar that worked quite well, but some we had a tough time. They had to put in wood stove later on because they couldn't keep up in the winter completely, just on passive. I like geo, it's comfortable, it's convenient, and you can be gone on holidays and your house always stays nicely and warm. So I'm just a bigger fan of security versus just, just passive. Passive can be if you have two, three days of cloudiness, you're gonna have a tough time to get enough heat in, in, into your building. Can you say something about the difference in cost as well? Not 100%, because I've never built a fully passive home. I've been involved in a fully passive home, so I, I, I wouldn't have a proper answer probably, no. Sorry. 
Hi, Rudy. Yes, hi. Badminton Atherstone, nice picture of our house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I've got a couple of questions for you. <clears throat> when, when we put in our, our solar um, system, we, we had to provide our electricity bills for the past few years and show how much electricity we had used. Because if we put in solar panels beyond what we used, then we would be considered to be a producer. Yeah. That wasn't allowed at the time. So, <laughs> so that relates to our need. We want to buy a, an electric car and have the electricity produced by our solar panels. But right now, we're at 108%. We would need quite a bit more. So two questions for you. One is... You said you, you've got um, a system that's three times our system, 15, what is it? 15 kilowatts, yeah. Sorry? 15 kilowatts. 15 kilowatts and ours is five. On the panel side, but only 12 and a half on, a, on an inverter side. So I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching the peak more often, but I, I'm not never going to produce full 15 kilowatts, no. Okay, so ours is around five. Um, so how much, how many panels are needed to run electric car and then do we have to produce how do how did you do it how did you manage to convince the province or the county that you could have the 15 kilowatts that you have when you didn't have your house in place and couldn't produce all the, the that electricity figures that we had to the benefit from going new is you can estimate <laughs> and I actually I actually proved it to them saying according to our records we're going to have this unit for geothermal, this for the lights, this for the rest and the rest. So we came up with a big spreadsheet that we can prove, not in mind, we can prove it to them that we will actually consume that much power. Uh, but this is true. Right now, if you, if you somebody come, that's why they're always looking for power bills, unless it's new. New, we can estimate. And I have no idea what, what's going to happen if, they, if I'm almost producing five kilowatts more and they, if they're going to come after me, I'm not sure. <laughs> But right, right now, they have not done to any, anybody any problem for that. But you have to show existing house, we have to prove the last 12 months of power consumption. We have the early stage when the rebates came out, we actually told a few, a few applications that this, this customer potentially will have electric car. They actually went for it. Right now, they won't accept unless you have proof that you have one. So they went for it when you said yeah. yes? Yeah. At the moment, they won't, they won't do it anymore. Unless you have, but if, as soon as you buy one, you can prove you have one, we can actually add to your system, yes. Oh, as soon as you have it? Yes. And you don't have to have 12 months of bills? No, no. Ah, oh, the second question was how many panels do you need for an electric car? That's a very tough question because are you driving 10 kilometers a day or 1,000 kilometers a day? Sorry. <laughs> That's a problem, right? It's actually, it depends how much you drive, but anywhere between four to eight panels, we usually tell people roughly. But it depends if you go every day to work and you drive quite a bit, or if you just go to town the odd time. That's why it's hard to know the size, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But if you know the kilometer you hope to drive, I'd probably do the calculation for you, yeah. Dwight Perry. Rudy, thank you so much for all the information. Uh, just a real yes or right, uh, are you off the grid or on the grid with the new house? I'm still on the grid on the power side. I'm off, I have no gas coming in, but I'm still on the power side, no. yes. Okay. But I'm, I'm, I call my house off-grid ready. So the way we did our, our paneling, our wiring, stuff like that, we actually include a lot of extra stuff. Mm -hmm. I have two big panels in the house versus only one. So I'm going to isolate a lot of items, and slowly, as the battery power improves, 
I'm going to start taking certain components off, off the grid, and eventually my goal is to be totally off grid. Okay, yeah. and you actually can cut the power off yes, without absolutely. big yes. penalties? At the moment, yes. Okay. There's rumors that will change, but I hope not. Now, uh, this question is, it's always shocking to me when uh, I read articles on, uh, on homes, like if you had a house that was absolutely airtight, well then you need to put in a, an air exchanger, yep. and they talk about, I think it's like uh, four changes per hour mm -hmm. or something or other, like something about 25%. Yeah. Uh, I can see the geothermal bringing that up no. in the winter time. No, it no. doesn't. No, it doesn't change. That's all closed loop. It doesn't change. I just don't burn any. There's no dryness from the from the heat exchanger, right? That's why it's a little not more natural air, but it's yeah. not. The, the earth does not touch the house. It's okay. all, all closed in one loop. Okay, so, so, so for your home, you wouldn't have to have near as many air changes Correct. then? Correct. Okay. Yeah. I'd like to know, you probably don't know yet, but I'd like to know what that figure is. You, know, you can get it to the point, of course, where you just collapse because you, you, you took all the oxygen. So you've well, got to have some I, I, coming in. I'll give you one little story. In Germany, we had, we don't, most homes don't have air, air exchangers. We, our exchanger is in the morning, we have a cup of coffee, you open the window, and we sit and have a nice cup of coffee, and after we're done, we close again, we have a beautiful air exchange, right? <laughs> so, um, I honestly f I fight the, the industry a little bit on the air exchange, although it's mandatory now, new homes, so we, we can't get around it at the moment, but I fight a little bit, I said, we build a house so airtight, so we have to bring, but the, but the same, same token though, it's controlled air now. So I can actually know how much air exchange will have and how much it's gonna cost me, so I have much better control if you have gaps somewhere, it's hard to control. One day it blows more and less, so it's all over the map. Air exchanger, you, you know what you're doing. So it's, it's good and bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Rudy, uh, since there's no one at the mic, I'll ask uh, another written question by a very nice Dutch lady. <laughs> uh, many folks in Holland are going to geothermal. And there's also many complaints around noise related to geothermal. What can be done to reduce the noise? Is that a, does that sound familiar that to you? That is completely a false statement because there is no noise at all. There's a small compressor noise, like a little above a fridge noise in your mechanical, that's it. Actually, it's better because the air conditioner normally outside creates noise. We have no air conditioner outside. So noise-wise, I think she misunderstands geo then because geo, does, there's no noise there. There's a, I mean, there's a compressor noise in the mechanical room, but there is, yeah, no noise. No worse than a furnace running? No, no. Another question I had given to me was related to what are they doing back in your homeland in, in terms of all these uh, renewable energy, geothermal, uh, is there anything that policies around that in Germany that there could be uh, used in Canada or in Alberta? Well, the policies is changing quite a bit as well. They are not quite as aggressive anymore in my country. It used to be years ago with solar and stuff like that. They're changing the tunes a little bit. But still, there's just almost like a culture there. People just all, one guy has 10 panels, the neighbor goes with 12. It almost seems like you can compete against each other trying to get, so, but you have to remember too, like in Germany, we have not even half the sun we have here. And there's one of the highest solar panels in the world in Germany because we have like a massive sun here. Like in San Alberta, we have so much sun here. It's like it's crazy not to utilize it. Yeah. I'm yeah. back. Yeah. 
Um, <clears throat> when we were in Germany, we heard that there's um, solar paint. You yeah. can paint the outside of your house with it, and that will bring in the, the sunshine. I don't know how you yeah. attach the electricity, electrical lines to it. And um, we also heard about solar tiles that you can put on the outside of your house. Have you heard about these, and are they coming to North America? The paint is still a very, very early stage. There's definitely people playing with it, trying to transfer the power through the, through the paint, right? Tiles, yes, they're existing already, uh, but they are still so new and so costly um, that it's not, it hasn't been very popular yet. Plus, they still try to fight the, or if not fight, figure out the concern having all the individual uh, uh, tiles connect to each other that doesn't create any arcing on, in, in fires. We actually had to remove, a year ago, we actually removed a shingle house and solar in, in, on the west side. The insurance called us and said, to, we didn't do it, but they said, can you guys remove it, please, because we were worried about fire. So there is still a little bit of a concern with that, a little bit. Tesla has came out very strong for a short period of time. They backed off again. I don't know exactly where they are with it, but there's, it's very costly. I read an article the other day. The guys did, did went with the, the, the Tesla solar panels, and it cost him four times more than he had hoped for. So it's like a little early stage. Thanks, Rudy. One yeah. more question. Yeah. Uh, so Raymond apparently is now powered 100% with renewable energy. Little old Raymond down the road. Did you have anything to do with that? And then the other pro well, question, well, uh, comment is with all the renewable resources we've got, probably more than any place in Alberta or even Canada, the biomass from Feedlot Alley, all the sun, all the wind, and now you're saying, well, we've got geothermal uh, potential, well, huge possibility here as well. Why isn't Lethbridge like powered by 100% renewables? Little old Georgetown, Texas, it's a little redneck town, oil fields all around them, guess what? They're, they've gone 100% renewable, and many cities are coming on stream mm -hmm. going 100% renewables. Anyway, comments on that would be appreciated. Thank you. It's a tough one. I'm waiting for that day. I've been having tons of meetings with the councillors in the city, and, that, and, and I'm ask, always asked a question, why, why not, why not, right? And be very careful I'm saying, but city's tough, Lethbridge is tough. I gave you one little example, sorry for it. 18 years ago, I brought a very high-profile guy from Vancouver to talk about water-saving toilets. And I did a presentation to the councillor about water-saving to toilets, and I was told, basically, that there's no big deal for us. We make money with water, and there's lots of water in the, in the river. So there wasn't a whole, the whole group of people, but some of the council actually had that comment. And, like, and I had a, I'm, I'm almost like, I almost freaked out. I said, seriously? So I'm, I'm saying we have a little tough here to convince people to go to it. Why? I don't, I don't understand it. It's just, I just hope that one day they just have a heart, change of heart heart. No, we did not do it. No, we were not involved. That was that was somebody else's idea. Yeah. yeah. Quick comment. Last question. The realtors that we've talked to about our solar panels think that they're worth nothing, that they would add no value to our property. But it seems to me we've heard that the solar panels will keep producing for for fifty odd years, and they'll lose very little of their uh, capability. Could you comment on the long term? value and why the real estate market doesn't value them. 
Well, any, any brand name solar panel will give you at least 80% uh, power production guarantee in 25 years. So we believe that solar panel will outlast most of us here. So that part is not a concern. I had a big argument just a little while ago with one of the realtors and I said, said why is it if we go to the restaurant and we pick up a burger and a steak, we're gonna pay a lot more for the steak and it doesn't matter if the value is there, we want that steak. And nobody will give you the steak for the same price as the burger. Why is it if you have a house with better renewables in there and we tell people the market doesn't pay for it? So how can you go and buy a car that's $80,000 and turn around and say, no, I want that $20,000 car, same as the 80. It just doesn't, everything we do in life, it has its value. And somehow the home industry has not come on board yet to say, well, that house has more components in the house. We can't compare the house with the guy next door. So they, I believe that the understanding slowly moving towards it as society goes, but it's very hard. You probably know exactly the problem, right? It's just people don't want to, the realtor is the biggest problem for us, actually. The homeowner wants it, and the realtor is scaring them, so, oh, don't, don't, don't do it. It never pays for itself. And the people not pay for it. And they said, I might have, I might reduce my amount of people that look at my house, but somebody will pay for it. Somebody will appreciate that. So my daughter sold actually a house in, in, in Colhurst with all the geothermal and solar, and the realtor told me there's no value for it. And said, then, see ya, thank you. And we sold ourselves for the money we wanted. <laughs> so. Rudy, before you leave, do you yeah. have a message for the audience to think about going forward? For me, basically, I would encourage everybody, just doesn't matter what, just start with something and have fun with it. And you will notice all of a sudden, almost every client is fanatic afterwards, after them geo and solar, they become fanatic almost about how, how well it works if it's done right. So uh, for me, just give one, maybe one story. My daughter was, when she was uh, uh, 11 to 12 years old, she became vegetarian and she became extreme um, environmentalist, right? So I had to kind of calm her down and say, don't push so hard, don't push so hard. He keeps saying, I get so mad that my friends in school do not buy into this. And I, th I, I just told her finally, I said, Alana, you have to relax and just be an example. And it took her about eight years for her to all of a sudden, one day we sit in the hot tub, she said to me, she said, Dad, now I get it. I quit preaching, and guess what? My boyfriend who purposely threw stuff out of the window to piss me off, sorry. <laughs> right? Now he has a recycling bin because I quit, quit talking. So I believe very strongly that we need to all get involved to some degree, but not being extremist. And if we're not extremists, we have more followers than we become extreme because we can just plain cut the oils off. It will not happen and it's not even feasible. Just can be reduced, absolutely. So I would just encourage people to do a little bit. Thank you very much. Thank you.